All right. What's going on, family? Good to see everybody. Um, it's really, uh, really cool. This is kind of a new setup, you know, so I don't know. I might try to do the stool thing. I might stand up. Um, it's really good to be with you. I love Red Sea. I love, it's been so awesome just to be here, and it's a beautiful day. Sun shining, yeah? <laughs> See, I just, we have sun in Baltimore, so everybody's like, it's sunny. And I'm like, well, oh yeah, I forgot. It's not that sunny a lot. But um, I know everybody's in a good mood, and um, just really, really cool to be hanging out here. Um, just a, couple, a lot of you guys know who, me and stuff. Some of you are new. Um, uh, just real quick, um, we're in Baltimore, Maryland. We're in the northeast part of the city. And um, about a year ago, I uh, connected with another brother. His name's Mike Crawford. And God just connected us through a series of circumstances and called us to work together to pastor and to plant a church together in the city. And um, God ended up leading him to live in a house about half a mile from me, rent-free for a year. And, um, and then he just kind of lined us up, and he met Sean in like a random situation, and then Sean's talking to him, and then all these things happened, and God just connected us. So basically this past summer in August, we rented a room in the YMCA in our neighborhood. We just put the word out, hey, we're starting a church, gathered people that we knew, kind of cast the vision, this is what we want to do. Then we started meeting in homes. We have two groups that meet in homes, one in his house, one in my house. We call our missional home communities D groups or discipleship groups, same thing that you guys do here. And then uh, we started meeting every other week in the school where my kids go. Um, it's cool. My kids actually go to the local public school, and we meet in the school. We came to the principal. We said, we want to meet here. She said, fine, you know, come on in. So we started meeting every other week, and we started meeting every week. And so we've been doing that since January. We've got about 60 people. We've, bat- we've done two baptisms. seen about um, 14 people get baptized. It's just been awesome. Uh, we're, just, we're just living the gospel, doing Christ community culture. If, you would have, if you'd come to our church, there would be a lot of similarities to, uh, to Red Sea, um, except it'd have a little bit of, of a little flavor to it, you know what I'm saying? A little bit, a little, some beats, you know what I mean? We have a DJ, and um, a little more flavor. Y'all got flavor, but, you know, I'm just saying. But all of the... Uh, <laughs> but um, all the language that we use, the same mission, um, basically come from Red Sea because um, so much was poured into me when I was here, and I brought that, and um, when we were writing our mission for freedom, I was like, we got to do Christ community culture, bloom and bloom, and Mike was like, yeah, we got to do that, so it's been great um, just, to, just to, to do that, so it's been awesome, and also, um, uh, a lot, as, as Pastor Sean just shared, you're supporting me, you guys are, are my major, one of my major supporters, I actually work part-time on the church right now, uh, I work three days a week driving a truck for FedEx Ground, I work three days on the church, and um, and so um, I'm able to do that, and it's, it's, been, it's been dope. God's moving, and people are coming, and it's just, it's just an awesome thing. So I'd love to share more about that. I put the website up here. You can check that out. Um, there's a little video on there. It shows some people from our church. And so please check that out if you, if you get a chance. Um, that's a little bit of my story. Now we want to get into God's story, the main reason why we came this morning. So let me pray, and then we're going to um, get into the, into the book of Philippians a little bit. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you again for this beautiful day. I just again want to praise you um, for Red Sea. Thank you for this family out here. God, in many ways, my home church. And um, just thank you for all my brothers and sisters who are here. And uh, Lord, again, I want to thank you for the moms who are here. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my mom. And, um, and Lord, um, 
As we just look into your word, we just ask God that you would meet with us, open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you have to say to us personally. Uh, Thank you for loving us, and thank you that we get to to be with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, cool. Well, if you're just joining us, um, Red Sea has been going through the book of Philippians, and Pastor Sean just kind of gave me the next text in the book. Um, So that's what we're going to get into. Uh, Philippi is a city. Paul uh, went there, he planted a church there, and then he writes a letter back to the church in Philippi. Paul was basically, short story on Paul, Paul's a terrorist. He got saved, started planting churches. And um, so one of the places he planted a church was Philippi. Philippi is a crazy uh, church plant, really. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. Paul goes there, he meets this lady, she's hanging out on the river with some other women there. They were, um, they wanted to know God, but they didn't know who Jesus was. So he tells them about Jesus they, get, they, they come to Christ, and they begin following Jesus. He baptizes them. Paul's there with his, his, uh, his man Silas, and um, they're walking around, and, and they end up getting jailed because Paul exercised a demon out of a fortune-telling slave girl. And then they're in jail, and then God shows up, and the whole jail shakes, and the chains come off them, and then the, the prison guard's about to kill himself, and Paul's like, stop, don't kill yourself. Leads him to Jesus, leads his whole family to Jesus, and that's the church of Philippi. It's a crazy church. So you got a businesswoman, a formerly mentally ill girl, and a CO, right, in the church at Philippi. Crazy mix. And that's what God does in the church, doesn't he? Brings all these people from all these backgrounds and forms us together. And, um, and that's what he did there in, in Philippi. And the, one of the main themes of the book is encouragement. And that's not always the case with all the letters that Paul writes. Um, but definitely it's the case in, in here, um, because he wants to encourage the church. And so um, you'll see here that the title of the message is Gospel Instructions for a Good Life. Now, if I was in Baltimore, I would have said Gospel Instructions for a Banging Life, or like a Beastie Life, or an Ill Life, or a Dope Life. I'm trying to think of like the Portland slang. One of the major Portland words that I used when I was here was killer, and I said it yesterday, and I was like, I just said killer, ah! killer, you know, so that's like a West Coast word, so you can put your own word in there, and I was like, I'm just going to go neutral and just put good, um, and we'll just go like that, um, but, but um, we're going to go through this, and, and he opens up in this section, it's interesting, so what, what happens here is at the end of the book, he's kind of giving some closing thoughts, some closing instructions that he wants to give to the church, and so um, as he writes this, he says this, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And this is really appropriate for me because I love Red Sea and I love you and I love um, what God did in my life when I was here and, and, um, and Paul has this affection for the church and we need to have that kind of affection for one another and you see that in the New Testament and it was just so appropriate that, you know, that I, would, I would even preach through this message, um, through this text, I mean, because um, that's how I feel about, about Red Sea. Another reason this is appropriate is that uh, the church at Philippi actually supported Paul financially, and you guys are supporting me. And so it's just cool to see that. Um, one of the things that he says in here as he starts is he says to stand firm in the Lord. He, he, he starts off by saying, look, you need to get with Jesus. And you guys know, if you've been here at all, that the first part of the mission of Red Sea is to draw to Christ. And everything that we do is about getting with Jesus, knowing Jesus, um, connecting with Jesus. And that's what he opens up. He's saying, look, you need to get with him. You need to draw to him. You need to stand firm in him. So he starts with this encouragement, right? Um, get with Jesus. And as, even as we look into these, we're going to look at six gospel instructions uh, for a good life. You can't do any of these things without Jesus. 
So don't misunderstand this as like, these are just good principles or good ideas or how to have a better life and, 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 and I just need to try harder to get these things done. You can't do any of these things without Jesus. Jesus is, is the motive for these things and he's the means for them. Um, we can't do any of these things. He's, he's, he's the means, he's the power, and he's the motive, he's the reason why we do these things. And so let's look at, let's look at these, um, these six things. Number one is unity. Unity. There we go. Um, <clears throat> verse 2. He says this, I entreat Eudea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So the first thing that we see in here in, in this gospel instructions is unity. We need to have unity. What's going on here? Um, um, Paul's writing to the church. He's writing to these leaders. And he sees that there's some kind of quarrel or some kind of disagreement between two women. Um, And there's a few things that are significant about this I just want to point out. First is that he mentions it publicly. This would have been read in public. It would have been passed around to other churches. It's like, like if I was Judea or Cynthia, I'd be like, yo, Paul, why'd you have to do it like publicly like that? You know what I mean? Why couldn't you come on the side, you know, and... Like, let's, get, let's talk like this. Obviously, this was a disagreement that had gotten so large that it had to be dealt with on a public scale. And I don't know how we would do that. We would probably, we might not do it in, in this context, but we might do something like that in our missional home communities. We bring something to the front um, um, when there's a division. Another reason why this had to be public is because these two women were leaders. Paul mentions this in here. He says how they, they labored side by side with him in the gospel. These were some beefy gospel women. Right? They were leaders. And what happens when leaders, dis- when leaders don't have unity, when leaders get on the same different pages is, leaders have followers, leaders have people they're influencing, and that affects everything. When two leaders are, are, are having a problem, that affects the other people. So it had, they had to be bring it out into the public. Um, because we know we have a lot of disagreements often, and we can deal with it in private. But obviously here, it had to be dealt with in a public manner. Um, and, and, and the, the Bible doesn't say what their problem was, um, but I, I'm guessing that it wasn't theological. I think it was probably personal. Um, if it was theological, he might have gone into more teaching on what, what the disagreement was as he does throughout his other letters. But it was probably some kind of personal problem. And let's be real, a lot of our problems, a lot of the beef that we have, a lot of the disagreements that we have with one another in the church oftentimes aren't theological. They're really personal. personal. Sometimes we hide behind theology, but if we're honest, most of us care more about our egos and being right than we do about upholding theological truth. Yeah, it just kind of hurts a little bit. But we, we do that. We, a lot of times we, we use stuff, we mask it, but it's really a personal thing. And that's what I think was going on here. Um, another thing that's significant, and that we mentioned already, that these two leaders were women. Um, these two leaders were women. Sometimes Paul is cast as this anti-woman guy in the New Testament and all. That's totally false. Um, sometimes people ask me, what's your position on women in ministry? What's your position on women in ministry? Um, my position, that's really easy. That's wonderful. <laughs> if you're a woman who loves Jesus and you're using your gifts to serve people, you're in ministry, right? You're doing ministry. Um, and... Um, Obviously, these two women right here were doing ministry. They were leaders, laboring side by side in the gospel. Now, Scripture is clear about the role of pastor and elder need to be relegated to men. But 
in this, t- in this context, in this, we're seeing women doing ministry. We're seeing women in this prominent place um, of position. And, uh, and, and so they're leading and they're influencing. It's, 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 it's interesting. Another thing that's interesting about this is he appeals to them both individually. He says, I entreat you, Eudea, and I entreat you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. When there's a problem, when we have disunity among us, um, a lot of times... There needs to be a personal appeal. There needs to be a, a sense of saying, look, I'm a, you guys are having a problem, so I'm talking to you and I'm talking to you. You need to get with the Lord. You need to get with Jesus. Notice that he says that. He says, agree in the Lord. In other words, in the midst of this, in the midst of this conflict that you're facing, don't just try to deal with it apart from Jesus. Don't just think, well, I need to just, you know, we need to just all get along and let's apply some kind of just, you know, relationship principles or some other kind of, no. First, get with Jesus about this. Agree in the Lord. In other words, consider your relationship with Jesus and what He's done in your life. Because that will then allow you to see the, the, the conflict in a new light. They're, they were to agree in the Lord. Um, and all, when we have conflicts with one another, we need, to, we need to come back to Him. Notice too that He talks about another companion, someone else coming in. Sometimes we need a mediator. Sometimes it just gets too muddled. And we need someone else to come in. And what a mediator does is a mediator comes in and the two parties say, we're going to submit to your judgment. We're going to share each side and we're going to get all the facts. And then we're going to kind of submit to what you say. And, 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 and we're going to allow you to kind of dictate this and help us through this. So we need to be one. Jesus prayed for this in John 17. He prayed that we would be one. We need to be unified. So, so, so ask yourself today, and, 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 and as we... Just go through these points. Are you at odds with someone? Are you having some problem with someone? Are you in a conflict with someone? Are you experiencing what these women were experiencing with someone this morning? Um, If you are, I'm going to ask you a question. This is something that's really important. Did that person sin against you? Because sometimes we have conflicts with one another and there's no sin. It's just that you were in a bad mood that day. You know what I mean? It was raining. (laughs) Whatever was going on. And you, and you have, and we, we have this at Freedom. Sometimes people come to us and say, well, I have this problem, blah, blah, blah. This person did this. We'll say, well, did that person sin against you? Because if they didn't sin against you, then it's not really a problem. You need to let it go. Sometimes it's just us, isn't it? Sometimes it's just us. It's just our thing. And so don't rush off to, well, we need to have this, you know, deep thing. Maybe not. You know, maybe it's just you, personally. Maybe you need to deal with that. Um, we're just having a bad mood. We're oversensitive. <clears throat> Unity. We need, to be, we need to be unified. He opens off and he gives this gospel instruction to be one. The next thing, the next uh, thing it, that I want to talk about, is, it has to do with your heart. It has to do with our hearts. Look what it says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So, in this, in this passage, in this little section, he commands that we have joy. He does it twice. It's in the imperative. Commands that we have joy. Um, that might be kind of hard to swallow. Like, how can you command joy? Right? Because a lot of us think of joy as, as, as a response to our circumstances, right? Like, you get a big tax return, you're like, yes! You know? You get a good grade, some of you are in school, you're in, you, get, you get the grades that you want, you have joy, right? You're responding to circumstances. You get that job you want. Um, you have a nice day, a sunny day, whatever. And, and, and then you're, we're responding to our circumstances. But there's a radical biblical teaching here 
that says that joy is not primarily a response to life circumstances. You guys see that? We're not talking about cheesy, happy, happy kind of joy. We're talking about a deep contentment in Christ. Joy, biblical joy, isn't a response to circumstances. Some of us are like, well, you know, that's easy for you to say, Paul, you know, you knew Jesus and you were close with him and all that. Paul was uh, in jail right now when he, was writing to the, to, when he was writing this letter. He was facing execution. And so, if anyone did not have a reason to be, have a circumstance for joy, it was him. But, he talks about this, right? This command to rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. Did you know that joy in Jesus is always available to you? Isn't that dope? Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. This is always available to us. Some of us, though, have a lack of joy. There's an interesting story in the Gospel of Mark where a man comes to Jesus and wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, you know, what's, what's going on? The guy's like, hey, I want to follow you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, if you really want to follow me, then you need to get rid of all these possessions that you have and then come follow me. And, the, and it's interesting how Scripture says that the man went away sorrowful. Sometimes we can come to church and we can hear about Jesus, and maybe some of us have been coming for a while, but we, we go away sorrowful. Or I've heard this before, like, man, I just don't get nothing out of that, man, you know, at, at freedom. I don't get anything out of it. Well, well, just because people aren't getting things out of it, or just because someone comes and they don't get anything out of it, doesn't mean it's not true, it doesn't mean it's not real. Um, this man in, in Mark 10 went away from Jesus sorrowful because he had another idol. He had something else that he was looking for to bring him joy. It was his wealth. Sometimes um, this, this, in, in, this, in this command, in this instruction for a good life, to rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes when we can't have joy, when we're, when we're, when we're, when we're stuck in that position, we've got to ask ourselves, am I looking to something else to give me joy other than my relationship with Jesus? You can fill in the black, fill in the blank, right? I will be happy when blank, right? When I graduate from school, when I get a new job, when I have kids, when my kids graduate. You know what I mean? You fill in the blank, right? How many of you guys get what I'm saying? Like, we're all living in this life where we're like, there's always like the next thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? The next thing? We're like, as soon as that happens, then I'll be happy. And sometimes that can become an idol, and it can keep us from experiencing the present, regular, always available joy that Jesus wants to give us, that we can have in Him, that He promises us. It becomes an idol when we say, I can't be happy until this happens. That's just such a like basic, um, man, that's, that's like a whole sermon right there, isn't it? <laughs> that's such a basic deal with, with walking with Jesus and knowing Him. So how do we do this? How do we rejoice in the Lord? Like, that sounds, like, sounds kind of like crazy spiritual. Like, how do we, like, how do we really do that? Um, what's a way that we can rejoice in the Lord? And um, I got this quote, uh, section, little section I want to read for you from George Mueller. George Mueller um, started a lot of orphanages um, in the 1800s in, in the UK and in other areas of Europe. And just a really interesting man of God. Check him out, you know, George Mueller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R. But listen, listen to what he said. I'm going to read this. It's a little section, so just hang with me. But he talks about experiencing the joy of the Lord. While I was staying at Nailsworth, it pleased the Lord to teach me a truth. I saw more clearly than ever that the first 
great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, how I might get my, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. I love that. Before this time, look, he goes on to say, before this time, my practice had been at least for 10 years as a habitual thing to give myself to prayer every morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart may be comforted or encouraged or warned or reproved or instructed, and that thus while meditating my heart might be brought into experimental communion with the Lord. I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning, early in the morning. The first thing I did after having asked in a few words the Lord's blessing upon His Word was to begin to meditate on the Word of God, searching, as it were, I love this, into every verse to get blessings out of it. Not for the sake of the public ministry of the Word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. Nope. How do we rejoice in the Lord? Well, we get with Jesus. Well, how do we get with Jesus? Well, the Scriptures tell us who Jesus is. When you meditate on Scripture and you begin to see who He is, and, 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 and then the Holy Spirit uses that in different God stirs in your heart. Are you reading your Bibles? Or are you reading them just, let me read it real quick. Got that done. Now I can go do what I want to do. Or are you reading it in such a way where you're looking for food for your own soul? George Mueller talks about this, rejoicing in the Lord, um, meditating on Scripture. Do you practice this? Um, when's the last time you were driving, you were running, you are on your way to work, you're on the max, you're riding your bike, whatever you're doing, and you just began to rejoice in the Lord? This isn't uh, like a, tr- you don't have to be here to do this, right? <laughs> this, is a, this is throughout your life, you're doing the dishes, moms, you're changing diapers and you're just, you're just meditating, you're just with Jesus in it. It's awesome. A third gospel instruction for a good life has to do with our disposition or our outlook or our attitude. Um, um, <clears throat> verse 5 goes on. After he says to rejoice, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your gentleness is a really hard word to translate. One translation said big-heartedness. Like, what's your disposition? Like, like, let that be known. Like, how, how, how do you react to other people? And so what's interesting about this is the secret to joy isn't just, let me get alone and meditate and just be alone. But it also has to do with getting out of ourselves and serving others. Some of us, we just keep retreating into that quiet place, but God's calling us, you know what? I'm going to meet you in the midst of service, right? And so it's not just a, an inner thing and a private thing, but it also has to do with my relationships with other people. My relationship with other people. What's our general disposition? How do we, how do we roll? How, do we, what, it, how, how are we at work? How are we at school? How are we in our families? Um, do we always have to win? Do we always have to get, do we always have to be right? I don't know about you, but um, in my, my travels as a FedEx driver, people kind of look at you as invisible because you're just the package guy, you know? And some people have these, you can have these little battles with people because they want you to do certain things, extra little moves to pay. You just drop like 20, you know, 20 boxes. They're like, can you move it over there, you know? And you get in these little things. I mean, you at work, you're getting these little battles with people. You guys know what I'm talking about? These little, little things like, there's like responsibilities that like, 
It's nobody's responsibility, but you didn't like say it was yours, but people expect you to do it. And you get these little things. What's your disposition? How, do you always have to win? Um, love, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I love this. It does not insist on its own way. That one kills me. Man. I, I'm always insisting on my own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Ow. Ah. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. <clears throat> What's our disposition? He's giving these, these instructions. He's closing out the letter. Notice he says this too. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What he's talking about is the reality and the promise that Jesus will return. His second coming. And with regards to Jesus' second coming, the Bible is clear that He will return. And most of Jesus' words especially have to do with just be ready. Be ready for Him to come back, right? Be ready. And so, what, what does that mean like with this? Well, it means like this. Like, in other words, if you're having this problem with someone, this conflict, you always have to be right. What, you know, you're thinking about your attitude, your disposition. All you've got to think is like, hey, Jesus is coming back, so whatever this little problem is, this is nothing compared to that, Right? I need to think about the fact that Christ is coming back so I don't have to win everything. I don't have to, I don't have to exert myself over others. Um, this is number three. Number four has to do with anxiety. Anxiety. This is a very well-known passage. This is one of those verses you need to memorize. You just kind of live in this verse sometimes. In anxiety. <clears throat> Look what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is another one of those impossible commands. First you're commanding us to rejoice. Now you're just commanding us to not be anxious. Right? Like, dang! You know? And again... If you're like, well, Paul, you don't get this. Paul was waiting execution. Some of us are anxious about stuff we've got to deal with on Monday, but it's probably not execution. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, don't do the whole Bible thing. You, can't, you don't know me, Bible. You can't relate to my real life. The Bible is one of the realest, rawest books that's ever been written. Especially if you read the Old Testament. You read all these stories about lives of people, just wild, crazy, wilding out lives. So, anxious, anxiety. Um, how many of us are anxious about something in our life right now, honestly? And if you're not raising your hand, you're either lying, or you will be by the end of the day, right? Um, man, I mean, it's, it's all around us. I'm going to give you this something you really need. This is like worth the price of admission right here. Um, I'm going to tell you what the cause of anxiety is. Okay, right, you, you might want to write this down. This is deep. Okay, cause of anxiety. Re ready? Life. <laughs> life is the cause of anxiety. Right? Life. Life is, and life is always happening. It, you can't stop life. Right? It's like a boulder rolling down the hill, and you're just in it. And at the end of the hill, there's a cliff, and the, it's going to fall off and smash into a million pieces. That's what life is. We're just rolling down the hill, and at the end of life, we're going to die. Like, man, this is great. Why'd you invite this kind? <laughs> Pastor Sean, would it be encouraging? It's Mother's Day. What's up? Sun shining. You can't stop life. And um, 
it's just going. That's the cause of anxiety. And there's a lot of fears. It's interesting. I, um, that lead to anxiety, obviously. I was at this little thing, looking online with some stuff, and, and they had a bunch of, they've done a bunch of surveys. You maybe you've heard this before, but the number one fear that causes anxiety is the fear of public speaking. The number two fear is death. <laughs> so that means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be the person in the coffin than the guy giving the eulogy, right? <laughs> and then there's all these other fears, spiders, heights, darkness. There's all these, there's like the top ten. There's all these fears that we have that cause us this anxiety. Um, <clears throat> man, everything causes us anxiety. If you're dating, you're like, man, I really want to... I really want to be in a relationship. And so, you know, you're anxious because you're trying to find that person. Or you send them a text and then you want them to write you right back and then they don't. You're like, man, why didn't they write me back? Right? <laughs> like waiting, you're anxious. You know, you know, and then they're like texting you too much. And you're like, man, now they're, they're texting me too much. They're like, they're too, then now you're anxious because now you don't want to be with them. And now you're like trying to avoid them. Right? We're always anxious. If you're looking for a job, you're worried, you don't have a job, you need money, you're anxious, you're trying to find a job, then you finally get a job, now you're anxious on the job, because you're wondering if you're doing your job right, you're wondering, well, what did that person mean by that, you know? And, and, and then you're worried about you're pleasing your boss, you're anxious about your job, you know, is this person gunning for your position, and you're anxious on the job, right? Some of you are looking for your housing, you're looking for housing, um, you're, maybe you're in an apartment, and you're like, man, if I just had a house, then I'd be happy. You're anxious because you're trying to find, that's one of the most anxiety-ridden things to do, is to try to buy a house. Then you finally buy a house, and then all the stuff starts breaking in it, right? <laughs> and now you're anxious about everything you've got to fix, because now you've got, you got to deal with that. Some of us are lonely, we want a spouse, so we're looking for a spouse, we want to be married. So you're anxious about that, then you get married, now you're anxious with your spouse because you don't know them now, and now you've got to figure out marriage, and it's crazy. You want kids, you're anxious about not having kids, having kids, then you get kids. Kids cause you the most anxiety, right, of anything. So it's just crazy. Anxiety is everywhere. Um, everything causes us anxiety. My, um, my problem with my, personally, is with my anxiety. See, what I do is I get anxious about stuff, but then I'll start to, like, I'll be like, well, if that doesn't work out, then I'll make all these other plans. You guys ever do that? Like, you're like, if this doesn't work out, then you make all these other things. But I'm real extreme with it, you know? So we're, like, struggling with our bills. I'm like, well, we can't pay the mortgage. That's it. We're just, we're just out of here then. We're just going to have to go live in a one-room studio, you know, with our four kids. It's forget it, you know, because it's not... And I make all these plans, you know, I got all these other ideas, and we get anxious, and that's what I do, and, and it's just crazy. But what does Scripture say? It says not to be anxious about anything, nothing. Wow. How can, how can this be? How can we not be anxious about anything? Um, how, can we, how can we deal with this anxiety that we have? One of the problems that we have is that we don't deal with anxiety as it comes in, in little forms. We wait till like everything is bad and we just like freak out, you know. Um, instead of doing what Scripture talks about on a regular basis. And you notice that he gives kind of a... He, he, I, love, I love the fact that, that, they, that Scripture just doesn't say don't be anxious and leave it there, but he tells us what to do with our anxiety. But he does make it very clear. Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is a sin. When I'm anxious, I'm failing to believe the gospel. So let's say I'm anxious about a job. I'm like, man, I don't have a job. 
How am I going to pay the bills? If I'm anxious about a job, and if I'm anxious about God providing for me financially, I'm not believing the gospel. Because how can I believe that God provided for my sins? A ransom, right? An atonement for my sins through Christ, but yet not trust Him for my job. You guys see how it works? If I'm anxious over, uh, uh, over wanting to be married or wanting to have a spouse because I'm lonely, what does that say about my belief in God the Father who says, I'm with you always, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? I'm not believing the gospel. If I'm anxious about sickness or death, well, now I'm not believing the gospel because Jesus promises me eternal life. You guys see that? So anxiety is a sin to be repented of. It's not just something to be managed or a condition. But the Bible tells us right here what we're supposed to do with our anxiety. It doesn't just leave us there. He says that don't be anxious about anything but everything by prayer and supplication. So what are we supposed to do with our anxieties? We've got we to pray about it. The cure for our anxieties is to pray, to pour out our hearts to the Lord, to bring that stuff to God. He talks about prayer, he talks about supplication. Supplication is more of like asking God for something specific. Sometimes I do this. I'll be like, something will be bothering me and I'll be anxious, but I won't even really pray about it. I'll just be like, God, you already know that I'm dealing with this. Why aren't you taking care of this, you know? And I'm like, I, but I never really prayed about it. Do you just assume, or do you talk, like, what if I just assume when I get home from work, like, my wife knows everything that happened to me that day, and I was like, you just assume, you just know, I do that too, right? Like, didn't I tell you that? <laughs> you know? But God, sometimes we do it with God, where we assume in our relationship with God that He, and God does know everything, but God set it up in such a way for prayer, He wants us to tell Him. He wants us to bring our needs to Him. When's the last time that you brought a need to God and said, God, this is something that's going on? I'm anxious about it. I'm worried about it. Your, your word says for me to bring this to you. I'm bringing it to you right now, God, because I need your help. And watch what God does. He wants us to bring it to Him. Another thing is that with prayer and supplication, He says it's thanksgiving. Sometimes we're so anxious about something, but yet we don't see that, and we don't remember what God's already done and thank Him for that. We're like, man, we really wanted the house, and we got the house. Now we're anxious because we don't have enough room, so we want to build bigger, you know what I mean? It's like, no, stop, time out, wait. Thank God that He brought you to that place where you were able to buy a house. Thank God that, you, that He brought you to that place where you were able to go to school. You're anxious about all your grades. But be thankful that you're at, even in college, you know what I mean? Less than 1% of the world can go to college. You know, it's like, all these things, man, that's so important. That changes our heart. And it's not just to be thankful, like, we just need to be thankful, like, Oprah says to be thankful. Let's just be thankful. No, but to give thanks to God, right? It's not just an attitude, but it's, it's, no, I need to give thanks to my Father in heaven who's given me these things, who's provided. What has God already done? And then look what God promises. In verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He promises peace. Some of us have experienced that. If we had like a mic... He said, why don't you guys come up and share how God's given you peace. We could hear story after story of how a situation happened where things didn't work, look right, where things were difficult. And we brought that thing to God and God gave us peace. And we're like, but how can you have peace when all this stuff's happening? I don't know, you know. But God gave me peace. His peace is guarding my heart and my mind from freaking out right now. That's what He promises. <clears throat> sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard 
um, to deal. It's hard to repent of anxiety. Sometimes it feels like we can't get out of anxiety. You ever feel that before? Like, I know I shouldn't be this anxious, but I've got to get out of this, but I'm like stuck in it. And, and sometimes it goes back to that idol piece. What am I really looking to for my joy instead of Jesus? And I've got to deal with that. And sometimes it, it just takes a minute to really pray and to work that thing out with the Lord. It's not always like a quick fix. It's not always just like, well, let me just pray with this real quick and just keep on, on my way. But I've got to really pray on it. <clears throat> I've got to deal with my emotions. I've got to deal with all this stuff. This kind of leads to the next point, which is our thought life in verse 8. Our thought life, verse 8. Look what he says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. First, we've got, we got to get on the same page. We've got to be unified. Then, then we've got to rejoice in the Lord. And then we've got to deal with this, our outs, how we treat others and our reasonableness. And then with our anxiety, bring that to the Lord. And now, now, now in connection with that, it has to do with our thought life. What are we thinking about? He goes through all these things, right? First thing he says is truth. Truth stands against what is false. Sometimes we believe lies and that causes us anxiety. That gets us off track with, 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 with God. Like, my life is hard right now, therefore God must not love me. Right? Things aren't working out, so why is God against me? Well, that's a lie. Because if we look in Romans 8, Scripture says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. <laughs> Not even any hardships, not any trials. If that was the case, then God must not even have loved Jesus because He allowed His Son to be crucified. Oh, wow, and I was believing something false, so I need to get my mind on what's true, not on what's false. Okay, what else? Oh, honorable. This is almost totally gone, right, in our society. Honorable. The, even the idea of honor, because we're cynical, we're sarcastic, we doubt everything, and everything is frivolous and just games and... There's no sense of, 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 of honor and, and character and all that. What's honorable? Think about those things. What's just? What's fair? Meditate on God's holiness, on His justice. And He'll make all wrongs right. Whatever is pure, right? Sexual immorality is, is huge among us. Um, and, and it's so prevalent in, 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 our, in our culture and our lives. And, and, and it's just all around us. What's pure? Are you thinking about what's pure? Uh, when, you see, when you see a woman, young men, and you're lusting after that woman, do you think about her that she was once a little girl who just wanted a daddy to probably hold her, pick her up, when you look at porn? Right? What's pure? Purity. God, I don't, want, I don't want all this trash in my mind. I want to be pure. What's lovely? What produces love and what's good? What's commendable? What's, what's something worth talking about? Um... Man, how, how much of the talk is, how much do we talk is just like, not, it's not worth talking about, you know? It's just dumb stuff, it's just garbage. And that's what he's going through all these things, he's talking about thinking of all these things, right? Commendable, whatever's excellence, whatever's worthy of praise. And another interesting passage in 2 Corinthians 10.5, I didn't put it up there, but he talks about taking every thought captive. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's a, there's a war going on for your mind. There's a battle for our minds. And so, goes through that. Check out, though, how he ends this. Verse 9. The very last gospel instruction for a good life. It has to do with discipleship. 
Look what he says in verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, all this stuff, all, this, this, all these final words for Christian life, these aren't just so that you'll be a nice Christian. These aren't just so that you'll have a nice, be a nice holy person and be a nice church-going man or woman. This is for you to give it away, right? I love that. You know what discipleship is? It's just following Jesus yourself and then showing other people how to do the same thing. That's what it is. Because look what he says in here. He says, look, what you have learned, okay, so what you have learned, like some content, what, what you've learned from me, what you've received, what kind of you've just picked up on, what you've heard, so what I've spoke, and what you've seen. Practice those things. That's what it means to be a disciple. Um, he's just basically saying, look, do what I do. Do what I do. I love this. The goal of this, all of this, is, is discipleship. We all know uh, that, that Jesus commanded his church to make disciples. Um, Jesus never commands us to do something that we can't do. He didn't command us to make believers because we can't make anyone believe. But we can make disciples. We can begin, we can begin to, to, to get involved in people's lives and say, this is how we do it. This is how, this is how we follow Jesus. We have a lot of new people in our church who just started following Jesus. And so when we do stuff, it's like we'll get together to pray. They'll be like, okay, let's pray. What do we do? <laughs> like, how do we do this? You know, like, well, here's how you do it, you know? Like, hey, man, um, I want to read the Bible, but, dude, where, where do I start? This is a huge book. Okay, let me show you, you know. Well, what about this? What about this? We just show you. That's what discipleship is. Um, that's what it is. And so um, we see these six gospel instructions for a good life. Six gospel instructions for a good life. And um, go back for just a, if you can go back, man, to the, the first slide. One of the things that he says in here, if you want, um, you don't have to, but is this. Look what he says um, in, 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 in verse 3. When he's talking about Eudea and Syntyche, he, ta- he says something very cool. He talks about how they labored side by side with him in the gospel. In other words, he didn't say, he could have used a lot of words and that would have been fine, but he didn't say labor side by side in the church or in the ministry or in the work or in, in making the world a better place or nothing like that. But he used the word gospel, right? And so you might, you might be here to say, today and you might be like, well, what's the gospel? I think I know it. I heard a gospel music, but what's the gospel? What are we talking about when we say the gospel? <clears throat> in a minute, we're going we're gonna to do something that's a symbol of the gospel. The gospel, when we take communion, the gospel is about a person, Jesus. The gospel is this incredible good news about how God loves us and how when God, when God first made man and woman and, and how he created everything, he created everything good and how when he first made man and woman there was nothing in between God and man. That they, they lived in a perfect fellowship with one another. But men and women sinned against God. And sin was then passed on to everyone who's been born since then. We all know this. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that we're all sinners. There's nowhere you can go where there's not sin, where there isn't rape, where there isn't theft, or where there isn't murder. You can't go to any culture. You can't go to any place in the world where you find people that aren't in sin. And sin keeps us from God. And sin has a penalty, which is death and separation from God. But Jesus came, and he came to pay the penalty through his life. 
And then Jesus invites us to himself. He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest for your soul. And he says, come to me. In, in, the, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, he says, look, I'm here. The kingdom of God is hand. He says, repent and believe in the Gospel. So he invites us to himself through repentance, turning from sin, and through faith and trust in him. And then when we come to him, he promises us eternal life. And he promises us to walk with us, to be with us, to help us to do all these things that we just went through. He places us in his community, in his church, in his body. And one of the things that Jesus did before he, before he went to the cross was he gathered his disciples in a room. And he, and he talked about how he was going to the cross. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, look, my body's going to be broken. When, when you see this bread and, it's, and the edges are jagged and the edges are rough, that's going to be like my body that's broken for you. And then he took the cup of wine and he poured it and he said, this is like my blood that is shed for you. And he said, to do this in remembrance of me, that's how we do this every week. You don't have to be a member of Red Sea or partner to come take communion, but you do need to be a Christian. You do need to be someone who's, who said, look, I want to follow Jesus. I see this. God, that I get this. I'm, I'm turning from my sin and I'm trusting in Him. Maybe today, maybe, maybe this, is, this is new for you right now. We want to invite you to take communion this morning, even as your first act of following Jesus. Um, you don't have to be a member, but you do need to be a Christian to take communion. So what we're going to do is, in a minute, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Right, John? You guys come on up. Um, we're going to take communion. And we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is calling us to himself. He's calling us to look at these things that we dealt with. And he's, and he's calling us um, to this life with him that involves all these things. And involves um, experiencing this crazy joy that he gives us. So I want to invite you as we do this. It's an open time. There's no order. You come as you feel led. You're ready. Also, um, there's going to be some men passing out these buckets for offering. This is when we give to the Lord. This is a way of worshiping Him. I want to invite you to do that. And I want to invite you to worship the Lord. Do business with God. However He's speaking to you. However you need to be, pray, be prayerful. Um, and to get, to get it in with Jesus as we worship. So let's all stand. And I'm going to pray. And then we'll begin this time with taking offering, taking communion, worshiping the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for this morning. Um, thank You for Your Word, Jesus. Thank You for um, how clear Your Word is about how You've called us to live. And God, um, just thinking of this anxiety piece, some of us are really anxious about some stuff. Some of us are anxious about stuff, and Lord, we never even knew that You could even help us with it. We never knew that You even came um, to die for our sin. You, you've taken away our greatest anxiety of all, which is the reality of death that we all walk towards. By dying on the cross, by paying, the, paying for our sins on the cross, giving your life, and rising from the dead. Lord, even as we take communion, we remember what you've done for us, how, you, how your blood was shed, how your body was broken. But we also rejoice, Lord, that we've forgiven, that you've given us forgiveness. Um, and we rejoice that we can look forward to your second coming, that you're going to come again. Well, we just invite you to move in our midst and even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, 
please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.